Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Kayla Branch. You're listening to The Source. I got tested yesterday for COVID-19, and the results came back positive. This week, as debates continue over Oklahoma's response to the pandemic, Kevin Stitt became the first governor in the nation to test positive for COVID-19. And central to these debates over the pandemic, how to return safely to school in the fall. Reporter Carmen Foreman is with us this week. Carmen, thank you for coming on the podcast again. Thanks. The state had some big news this week when Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt said he tested positive for COVID-19. The governor, who has resisted issuing a mask requirement and closing businesses again, has contracted the virus himself. So first of all, Carmen, how did the governor say he was feeling? And do you expect this to change his perspective at all? The governor tested positive on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, when he talked to reporters in a press conference, he said that he really had been mostly asymptomatic, except for some minor aches and pains. He didn't really specify where those might have been, like if they're body aches, headaches, what. Um, But he hasn't had a fever. Um, But it could be early on in the life cycle of his COVID-19 symptoms. So he may feel more symptoms later on. But so far, he's doing good, and his family is COVID-19 free. Awesome, and and I'll follow up with you one more time. Just, I know he spoke today about his thoughts on on mask wearing and and the virus itself, and it sounds like he's been reiterating a lot of what he's already been saying in the past when he didn't have the virus. So does this change anything for him? So far, no, it does not. Um, And there were a lot of questions from reporters to that effect of basically like, well, now that you have COVID-19, would you be more amenable to a mask mandate, which a lot of people are calling for and most public health officials say would be beneficial to stopping the spread of COVID-19. And Governor Stitt basically said no. You know, he, he reiterated some of the same arguments that he's made. We, we want to give uh, business the freedom. I know that some businesses are mandating masks, and that's great. But you can't pick and choose what freedoms you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna give people. So if the businesses want to do it, if some local municipalities uh, want to do it, uh, uh, that's fine. But again, we, we also respect people's rights to, to – uh, uh, to stay home if they want, uh, to run their businesses, or to not wear a mask. And the, the other thing that's problematic that people don't talk about is uh, how do you enforce it? Are, are we going to put people in jail? Uh, what if the mask falls underneath somebody's nose? What if it was not a, the mask that you expected them to wear? They needed an N95 and they didn't have an N95. So I, I just, I'm just hesitant to mandate something that I think is problematic to enforce. He really truly does still believe in, you know, it's a person's personal responsibility to um, per, to take care of themselves, take care of their neighbors, prevent the spread. Um, and he also said he still strongly believes in, you know, 
individuals' rights not to wear a mask if they so choose. And we quickly saw, because as all of that information was coming out and people were taking to social media, there was an enormous reaction to the news locally and nationally. So talk about what you have noticed people saying. I don't know if it's just me, but I have seen a lot of tweets about us being a top 10 state. And of course, um, I think the tweets that I have mostly seen are people being ironic in that regard and saying like, oh, look. We have the first governor in the nation to have COVID-19. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. I think my social media is skewed toward more liberal folks because I just generally think that more conservative folks, um, you know, they're, they tend to be older. They don't use Twitter necessarily or fewer of them use Twitter. Um, I have seen a lot of people who've basically said, you know, we hope that the governor's family continue to feel okay. Don't... Um, have any bad symptoms from this. Um, but then I've just seen a lot of snark as we see a lot. Um, I talked to the president of the Oklahoma State Medical Association and he seemed really disappointed that basically this hadn't changed any of the governor's views on implementing, uh, stronger measures to, um, stop or reduce the spread of COVID. Um, and he, you know, he, basically said our numbers are going up in all the worst ways and it's not going to stop unless we do something. This news comes days after the first child death from COVID-19 was announced by the State Department of Health. Um, 13-year-old Anna Carter passed away in Comanche County from COVID-19. Carmen, you also recently had a story about a 20-month-old baby from Tulsa who contracted the virus and became terribly ill. Um, Early research about the virus had some people believing that young people weren't really affected by that, but I think it's now shown that young people can become sick, they can die from this. And I'm curious, you know, what did the uh, baby's mother have to say about this disease? Yeah, um, so the baby, the toddler was Ben um, of Tulsa and his mother, Sally Ramirez, um, is just really, um, really strongly advocating for like a mask mandate. It doesn't have to be this way. We were so careful. We quarantined, we felt like we did all of the things right and i think that's where the shame came from and the confusion like how did this happen at, at what point did this happen yeah i don't know i'm just so confused there's only so much we can do if other people aren't wearing masks as well this is a community effort and i'm tired of feeling like it was a moral failure on my my part i think that this is something that we all need to do to keep each other safe. She told me a very harrowing story of how Ben just became violently ill. He was crying in his crib. He started vomiting blood. They had to rush him to the hospital only to find out that he had COVID-19 and they, they had no idea where he got it from. So that's, it's tough, especially in that we talked to the day after that poor girl in Lawton passed away from the virus. So, and she obviously had some underlying medical conditions, but research has shown that anyone, you could be perfectly healthy, um, you could be 18 years old, you could be 60 years old, you could be Governor Kevin Stitt's age, which I think is around 50, but I'm not sure, and any one of those people could become very sick or die from the virus, even if they're in tip-top shape. And just so listeners can know, 20-month-old Ben has recovered, hasn't he? 
He um, he has mostly recovered, but he's still under the like two week period. Um, so he still has a slight fever, but he's doing better. Um, and so his parents are watching him. They're all self quarantining at home. Um, but yes, doing better. Right. And stepping back to take a broad look at the virus in Oklahoma right now, we have been breaking records on the number of positive cases per day. We see you know, possible mask mandates happening or and likely soon to be happening in some of the state's largest cities and stores like Walmart and Starbucks say they are going to begin requiring face masks. And politically, this issue, the virus, whether or not to wear masks, it just continues to be really polarizing. So what can you tell us about why it is such a political issue, particularly in Oklahoma? Yeah, um, I definitely, as a politics reporter, did not think that my whole year would be taken up by coronavirus and reporting on it because it is such a weirdly political issue. Like, it should not be. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, the Tulsa County Health Department director saying, you know, masks aren't political. They shouldn't be political, but they have become political. And so I've talked to some experts about all of this in, in the past week, and there are a couple of reasons for the politicization. And one is it's a presidential election year. And the president himself has made this sort of a political issue by um, adamantly choosing not to wear a mask, a mask or by, you know, sort of undercutting public health professionals and what science says, um, which is so weird. Like, it's weird that we live in an environment where po- politicians' words are sometimes and often taken over that of public health professionals or scientists who actually know more about what's going on. Um, But then also, like, back in Oklahoma, specifically, it's not just because it's an election year. It's because of this extreme polarization that we're in that that we have been in a long time and and some have said that you know social media has exacerbated that divide and that that occurred before that started before Donald Trump was elected president I mean even in the Obama administration people were going after each other on social media um, now it's more common now we're extremely polarized and um, you know experts have just said that seemingly everything is political nowadays right like um, if you, what's a good example, like being a vegetarian, being a vegan, that has for some reason become so politicized that if you are vegetarian or vegan, you're automatically thought of as a raging liberal. And I could go on at length, but I won't. <laughs> uh, well, Carmen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate you giving us the update on the governor and all things COVID-19 in Oklahoma. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, you're going to have your hands here, hands full here soon when schools reopen. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but we'll talk about that next on the podcast. Now that we have had a baseline discussion about the environment surrounding the virus in the state, Nuria, let's talk about schools. So Oklahoma City Public Schools decided that they would be requiring students and staff to wear masks during in-person instruction this fall. But that was not always the case. So talk a little bit about how they flip-flopped on that decision and why. 
Yeah, so the school district originally released their back-to-school plan during their school board meeting June 29th, um, where they went over pretty comprehensively everything that they were going to do to reopen schools in the fall and the alternative online options that they were going to have. And part of that plan was to require all staff and visitors to wear masks, but the district discussed uh, a requirement for students at length and decided not to require it for students. Um, Deputy Superintendent Jason Brown told me, uh, said that they just didn't want it to become a discipline issue. They didn't want teachers to have to basically police mask wearing. Um, but a week later, they had a second school board meeting and they in that time frame, had a lot of feedback from teachers, parents, people in the community who were really fearful for student safety and teachers' safety if those students were not going to be required to wear masks. So uh, just this Monday, they uh, went ahead and updated the policy to require masks for all students in fifth through 12th grade, which is effectively all their middle and high school students. For uh, pre-K through fourth grade, it's not a requirement, but it's an expectation. Um, Not every school board member agreed with this, um, but the explanation for that was they did not want it to be a requirement for those young students until the schools had the opportunity to teach them about it and educate them and, and prepare them for that to become a part of their daily routine. Right. And is Oklahoma City the only um, public school district that has said we're going to require masks or how many others in the metro area? Uh, several. Um, they're, they're, they probably would have been in the minority for not requiring masks for students at all. Um, Putnam City, for example, is requiring them for all students of all ages. Um, Edmond said that they were going to require them for all middle and high school students. Same thing for Mustang. Uh, so I've heard more about requiring masks than not requiring masks. And schools are facing intense pressure to reopen, particularly after President Donald Trump um, recently said or insinuated that he might find ways to uh, force schools or punish schools that did not want to reopen because of the virus, maybe with, you know, uh, federal funds. But what guidance have we seen or heard from the state government for schools to reopen in the fall? Yeah, and first thing, um, something that a lot of people in in the education sphere have been very clear about is that the the president does not have any authority to revoke school funding. Um, Congress would have to do that, and and it would be difficult with Congress being so bipartisan in in the House and Senate. Um, So on the state level, um, the most recent um, guidance or or hint at guidance that we've gotten is from uh, state school superintendent Joy Hoffmeister, who who said recently that it is possible that the state board of education would issue a mask requirement for everyone entering a public school in Oklahoma. That would include students. That would include teachers and visitors. Um, she said that they were going to allow districts to evaluate their own policies, um, if they were going to self-impose their own mask requirements for everyone entering their schools, then state action wouldn't be necessary. Um, But she said she felt it was their responsibility at the state level to make sure that um, school policies aligned with what the science says. And she said the science is saying right now that masks is what's going to really protect us from spreading COVID-19. And 
for her, she called it the bedrock of even keeping schools open. I mean, it's it's obvious this happens even with just the flu. If too many teachers and too many students are out sick, they close schools. And she's saying, you know, if they um, if, if too many people are, are sick with COVID-19, schools could start closing very rapidly. Um, Outside of Superintendent Hoffmeister, um, the State Department of Education issued a return to learn framework where they strongly encouraged uh, schools to take stock of what PPE they can provide and just come up with contingency plans because they told schools to expect disruptions in the fall. Um, schools might have to shut down again, especially if there is a quote unquote second wave, although right now we're, it, it, we're still experiencing spikes. Uh, so basically, you know, make sure you have enough technology for students to be able to access online learning, make sure your families can have internet service at home. Um, but right now, you know, that, that was issued back in, in early June. Now that we're seeing this surge, Superintendent Hoffmeister is saying everybody should be wearing masks, even, even the little ones. Right. And you mentioned contingency plans. And what kind of plans are we seeing schools put together for the next school year? Yeah, it's becoming pretty commonplace. Uh, most, if not all, districts in the in the state are preparing for kids to come back in person. Uh, those are the the plans that they've been laying the groundwork for for the past couple of months. Um, leading into this surge, we could see districts reconsidering that. Uh, but as of right now. Pretty much all of them, if not all of them, are preparing for kids to come back in person, but they are considering the fact that not every family wants to do that. Not every family can do that. So pretty much every, even small districts, every plan that I've seen has a virtual option where kids can enroll in full-time online learning and just do all of their work from home. Um, And then a third contingency is if they do go back in person but schools are forced to shut down again what do you do from there you could see distance learning um, resuming but I think a lot of district leaders across the state will acknowledge that it has to be better than it was in the spring they cannot be in emergency mode where they kind of throw together you know stuff in two weeks and try to educate students for the rest of the year so that's why they're really developing the proper infrastructure with technology uh home wi-fi making sure everybody has that so that if schools do shut down all those kids who came back in person would have to learn from home and making sure that the schools and the students and the teachers are all equipped to be able to learn remotely like that well you know i don't think we can have this conversation about schools without acknowledging just it is going to be really hard on parents if kids are having to continue distance learning and they're not in school you know our economy just generally is not built for kids to stay home with you know needing full-time supervision and there are a lot of families where both parents they have to go to work and maybe they even have multiple jobs you know in daycare wildly expensive and then you know even if you do have um you know a, a parent or a guardian that can stay at home 
staying at home for the next six months without a lot of activities is just tough. It's going to be really tough on parents and families. So what do you know about what parents are, are thinking and some of the struggles that they might face going forward? Yeah, so districts have already started surveying the families um, who, whose kids attend their schools, and they're finding a majority of parents are wanting their kids back in the classroom um, for one reason or another. You know, I don't think every family's reasoning is the same, but like you said, I think it is really difficult for parents to have a full-time job and stay home with the kids while they're learning from home. Um, Even if you're working from home, parents have said that that's really challenging to be able to take care of your kid and get your work done at the same time. Um, Up in Edmond Public Schools, 85% of surveyed parents said they wanted their kids back in school. Um, Oklahoma City Public Schools said about a third of their families could choose the full-time virtual option with the rest of them uh, coming to school in person. Now that number could change because they took that survey before spikes really started kicking in with COVID-19. But I think a lot of districts are expecting the majority of their students student body to come back in person. And I think parents are, are part of that, a big part of that, you know, and even when they talk about um, alternating schedules to reduce the uh, number of students in the school at one time, they're very careful to acknowledge that, you know, some parents might really struggle if their kid has some kind of alternating class schedule and just keeping parents in mind for sure. Um, I talked with a parent just recently who said, you know, I know my kids are going to learn more if they are in school, but the virus is just, it really scares me. So it's, it's a tough choice for everybody. And including teachers, you spoke with local teachers who said they feel, you know, the pressure to get back into the classroom, but they have these serious concerns about safety issues. And, and if kids aren't in the classroom, like you said, it's more difficult for them to learn the material that they need to know. So um, what did you learn from the teachers? Yeah, um, I think a lot of teachers have uh, concerns about being back in a classroom with with kids. Um, one teacher I spoke with said she has 135 eighth graders coming into her classroom every single day, um, and that's at Taft Middle School here in OKC. Um, and so she was really concerned because I spoke with her before the district had reversed its decision on or, or its recommendation on masks. Um, she was really concerned, you know, if, if none of those kids are required to wear a mask, what's what am I going to do? How am I going to be protected? Uh, another teacher who's going to be teaching at that same school this year said he, he felt almost like he was forced to do it, almost like it, his arm was being twisted to do it. Um, and I asked them directly, you know, if you had to go back in person, would you feel safe? Um, and I think they were hesitant to say that they would feel safe. Some of them said they would not feel safe. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of a risk they were willing to take because they know, uh, you know, they believe that in-person instruction is the best education for their students. And so they were willing uh, to take that risk because they believed it was the right thing to do. Uh, at the same time, not every teacher um, is, is as afraid. Um, there are some teachers I talked to who felt pretty confident in the safety precautions that their district had set up felt like if students did hand washing, wore masks, all of that, took their temperatures, that everything would be okay. Um, And, you know, some are in support of just reopening schools, whereas other teachers, I think, uh, are, are quite worried about it. 
So when is the first day of school in Oklahoma City? Uh, Oklahoma City, regardless of whether you are taking online classes or in-person classes, they're starting August 10th. Every district has its own start date, though. Um, I think Edmond, I can't even recall when Edmonds is. Um, I know Putnam City starts a couple weeks later. So everyone's a bit different, but the largest district in the state, Oklahoma City Public Schools, starts August 10th. Well, when August 10th comes around, I imagine that you'll be really busy, but thanks so much for all your reporting and your perspectives on what it's going to look like for schools to reopen this fall. Happy to do it. Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.